Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence. I'm your host, Jack Allen. I hope everyone has had a good few weeks. Sorry, I didn't release any real new in-depth content last week um you know this is my favorite thing to do i love to read about conspiracies i don't watch sports i don't play video games and uh but as you many of you conspiracy realists know it is not an easy thing to be red pill 24 7 sometimes you need to rest and relax a little bit and uh kind of be in the world that everyone lives in daily so uh Today's podcast, it's going to be a two-part, maybe three-part episode. We're going to dive deep into reptilians, the Sumerians, and how the Sumerian tablets, and kind of how they relate to the Bible. And this book's going to be of Dragons in the Garden of Eden by uh, R.A. Boulay. And this guy, uh, David Icke, actually references in his books. This gives him a beginning, um, like base knowledge for his reptilian and he references this guy a lot so i decided to check this book out and uh it's an awesome book if you guys want to check it out but uh so yeah here we go so you know and also just want to also reiterate people you know i get downvoted on reddit all the time and people make fun of me or whatever and mainstream people they're gonna laugh at you but really they have no idea either like this idea and these crazy ideas we talk talk about often hold just as much water, if not more water, than some of like the mainstream ideas and religions, including science, including science as a religion. So I just wanted to preface this episode with it, like people make fun, and then also like these science people now they they make fun of religious people or people who don't fully believe in evolution, and I think it's ridiculous, you know, like that schools teach evolution and not intelligent design my school like briefly touched on it i mean even darwin himself says that evolution is not the total answer it's just a theory he said there's his our eyes are one of the things that he could not figure out why like how they evolved they were so far advanced such high-tech thing i mean they're amazing our eyes and uh you know there are missing links that they have not been able to find where we made crazy jumps in our in our human history and uh so you know just i you know i know people like they make fun of me and sometimes it's frustrating because like they think they're so sure because they listen to someone smarter than them that told them what it is when really dude people have theories but like it almost makes just there's a quote by a physicist that say like when you start physics you 
uh, don't believe you stop believing in God. And when you get to the deeper into physics, you realize there is a God. So just something to think about. So now uh, let's get started. So let's start talking about our uh, fire-breathing dragons. So dragons are mythological creatures, you know, that are literally present on every continent's ancient history. Asians, all the way to Africans, like the Zulu tribe, and all the way to the, the Hopi Indians in North America, and the Aztecs in South America. But what is so wild is that all depictions of dragons are consistent. So how could the depictions of dragons be so similar across the globe when mainstream history tells you that we have had no interaction yet at this time? So dragons are normally depicted as large reptiles with scales. They usually had wings, four legs. They were normally bipedal with small like T-Rex arms. And some of the stories they walked on all four legs like a flying dinosaur kind of like a game of thrones i think they walk on all four legs um so they could usually breathe fire the dragons in stories they often like guarded treasure or immortality or guarded like uh very good knowledge and in most cultures they were revered but they were feared so i don't you want to like whether they love them or respect them or afraid of them one of those kind of things and most stories they have humans like afraid of these huge beasts and some definitely deserve that reputation they were like fire breathing child eating monsters and other dragons were helpful to humans and a lot of the ancient depictions of dragons they always had horns so um dragon and and flying reptile belief it, a few hundred years ago was totally commonplace the catholic church believed in them uh, St. George was declared as a patron saint after slaying one infamous dragon that was killing its townspeople. And uh, it, it said that this dragon was eating children and drinking their blood, all these horrendous things. And St. George went in and pierced the dragon's belly. And there is like some misinformation, but it was either in the 4th century or the 11th century. And I mean, both of those are very, you know, like 11th century's crusades. It's very significant, but it's just to go to show you that not so long ago in our his, human's history, the Catholic Church literally had a saint, which is you know super hard to become a saint, I'm pretty sure. Not very few people did it because of his slang of dragon ability. So uh, just something to think about that, you know, it really wasn't like the Catholic Church, they weren't, I mean, they weren't high tech and they weren't ahead of their time, but they weren't idiots either, you know. So just something that's to think about. So who was the has the first dragon story? And who was the first like reptile aware culture? Now the Bible, which uh, is often is you know viewed as one of the oldest books or documents, it was the earliest version was written around the fifth century, so and obviously depicted time like five hundred years and back previous to the book. And the Bible actually speaks about dragons. But this is not the first time that we see dragons in our history. The first people that were talked about dragons or reptiles is our first civilization, the good old Sumerians. The Sumerian tablets were written about around 2500 BCE. So according to the Sumerians, their sky gods, the Anuna and Anunnaki in uh, Semitic, or Semitic uh, they came down to earth. 241,000 years ago. Now these Anunna were depicted thoroughly and they were depicted not as human. They were, by the end, you're going to see that they were often depicted as flying green reptiles. 
So the oldest clay tablet was found in 3500 BCE. And that was the oldest one, and this is, this is what it said. It said, after translations, obviously, The reptiles verily descended. The earth is as replenishing as well as a well-watered garden. And at the time, Enki and Eridu had not appeared. Daylight did not shine. Moonlight had not emerged. So right off the jump, Sumerians are come out swinging with reptile talk, right? So these reptilians according to them, came down from the sky 240,000 years before the Great Deluge. And uh, a lot of this, all this information was learned from the Sumerian tablets and one amazing piece of history, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah, history, was the Sumerian King's List. So the King's List was is recorded the length of reign of the Sumerian god kings since they descended from the skies. And what makes this tablet so amazing is the length of time that the gods ruled. In mainstream historians, I started researching it. They, I was, you know, all of them say that these, that the numbers towards closer to our present time, as that gets those those numbers get less fantastical. So they say that those are probably legitimate times that the, these kings reigned. But um, the times at the beginning of the list is pure fantasy or mythological. And the reason they say this is because there are figures like gods, god kings that rule for 64,800 years or 21,000 years of rule from one leader. Now, and this does seem crazily fantastical and probably almost impossible. But if it was a made up and just like a story, a myth, why would they put it down with actual figures? You know, like... It wasn't like this was in a a novel that they wrote on clay tablets. You know, like it wasn't easy to make clay tablets. And these people, they weren't dumb people. These guys are like some of the first that had the sciences and astronomy. They could, you know, call out eclipses years in the making. They could see stars that you can't see with the naked eye. So we still don't know how they saw these stars and constellations. So these people were not cavemen. They were very intelligent human beings and uh, I believe that there is truth to their the years that they said that these uh, their god kings ruled. So uh, let's keep going and uh, see what other kind of evidence we can see. So Adam and Eve in the Bible also had extremely long lives. Not 64,000 years, but Adam lived to be 930 and his son Seth lived to be 912. So it seems like in this time there was significantly longer lives. And uh, this, I, in the Bible, this continues this theme, like the Sumerian text of long lives of the creatures on earth. But this changes after the great deluge or the, the biblical flood. Noah lives to be like 950. And that was the last one, obviously Noah, the ark. Like uh, Abraham, uh, you know, very popular or very important character in the Bible. He lives to be 250. And then King David, who you know, is near, nearest, he only lived to be 70. So this kind of shows consistency between two different types of ancient documents written thousands of years apart. Both have similar long lives, longer lives than what we have now. And uh, an interesting thing to point out also is how the Sumerian language literally just popped out of nowhere. There is a relation between like the neighboring Semitic language of the Babylons to the north, you know, that becomes Hebrew, all those things like that. And uh, this evolves, 
Chinese, all these languages, they somehow evolved together because they all came out of one area. You know, even though they're, they never, again, they never talk to each other, but all the language, languages are very similar with some, especially some words. But that, this is not true at all with Sumerian. Like there is no language that is like Sumerian and no language that Sumerian grew, grew out of. So it literally like just happened one day that these people had a language, which is an interesting fact in itself. So back to the story, the Anunnan or Anunnaki came down to Earth 240,000 years ago, and they came here because their home planet Nibiru, uh, its atmosphere was waning. Nibiru is in our solar, is in the solar system, is called the the well, tenth planet, now the Pluto, but anyway, um, planet X, and it's way past Pluto, and it's on this elliptical orbit. And it only comes back, there's so many speculation, like every 3,600 years. Uh, that's like, but, and so it technically, if it was around that time, it is getting close. You know, we still have a thousand years uh, before it comes back. So they needed gold from uh, our planet because to help save their planet. And uh, they, you know, knew that this planet would have good minerals. So that's why they chose here. So the captain of the Anunnaki, excuse me, was Anu or An. And uh, he like watched from above from a spaceship. And uh, just something to like point out, you know, my whole, if you listen, didn't listen to my moon podcast, listen to the moon podcast, but the moon is definitely a hollowed out satellite object like the Death Star. And uh, I think that they're still watching possibly from this uh, hollowed moon. So back to the story. Um, his uh, three children led the expedition on Earth. His three children were Enlil, Enki, and Ninhursag. And Enlil can be thought of like the chief of the Earth. He thought humans were animals, they were cannon fodder, replaceable, and a nuisance. Enki was like relatively kind. He was like, a, uh, you can imagine like a mad scientist who loved his work and his creation, us. And uh, Ninhursag, she was like a nurse and a medical assistant to Enki. Didn't have a lot of power because she was a female, but she was royalty, like of the royal, you know, family kind of thing. So Enlil, the the chief of the earth, he was dis- depicted as a serpent being with horns, and this depiction to show royalty is the depiction of horns to show royalty is proposed like why our royalty for thousands of years has worn crowns. They were trying to mimic the horned reptilians that came to earth because. You know, and Lil was the first, you know, this is before any recorded history, first recorded history. And uh, after that, the horns, you know, the horns is why crowns started. So that's like an interesting point. Um, so basically there were seven original gods. There was Enlil, Enki, Ninersag, and four of their children. So on like the head god, he had these three and they had, you know, children and grandchildren, just like royal families of history. So... And in, in this story, or this their Sumerian text, each one was in charge of a different land and was responsible for, like, different things. And, you know, they would have council meetings, decide if certain things that could not be solved separately. And uh, some scholars believe that this number seven theme is carried from its ancient story. So that's why some scholars say that seven candles on the menorah, seven days of creation, and uh, that's they say suggests that there's a reason why this was a very powerful number it meant something and you know stories that we can look back have always like you know these were the first stories these sumerian tablets and whether they were not read you know people heard them orally and they 
manipulated them to, you know, fit their current culture, those type of things. So Enki was one of the most light gods. He was associated with water and fish. And uh, just an interesting thing, you know, fishes show Enki. That's how they would depict him with like scales and things. And there's another individual in sacred text that is also associated with fish, who is also the son of the head god. But just something interesting to point out. But uh, Enki was the engineer. He dammed the rivers for irrigation, irrigation to grow plants. He would often travel on the rivers in his uh, submer- submersible ship, the Abzu. And so the Abzu would just zoom all around like Mesopotamia and the neighboring lands visiting, you know, all the locations. And uh, in northern neighboring town Babylon, their creation stories relate to their southern neighbors, the Sumerians. The Babylon creation stories talk about a snake-like group of beings came from the outer, came from the sky, came to them and taught the humans how to live. And the Babylonians described these, quote, abominations as gigantic, gigantic beings with two legs, head of a man, but body of a fish. And the Babylonians even called them the Anadoti. Obviously, what is that similar to? The Anunnaki. And uh, they even called the, or they called the Sumerian Enki Oannes. And they, the thing that matches them up is the Babylonian story said that Oannes would return to his water abode every night. So clearly, we're referencing the same group of people. And uh, so it's another example that the Babylonians referred to these beings as snake-like and uh, how they looked like they didn't look human. And again, these people are the first society. They, uh, you know, they might, magic would, like technology would seem like magic, but they uh, wouldn't, you know, I don't believe that humans would, a whole group of them, the stories that would make it would be just lies that just doesn't you know like if uh the surviving text of our time i don't think people would be confused with the story it'd be written differently like here i don't know but anyway all right so yeah so two cultures right next to each other have this these serpent reptile uh gods that came down to them and the sumerians use many words to describe their gods but in sumerian or in speaking Sumerian, there was no word for worship in the Sumerian language. Like, it was not something that they did to these gods. So, like, unlike our current connotation of the word God, the Sumerians' word they used, we call it God, but it actually meant lofty ones. Like, so their gods were physically present on the earth. They could be interacted with, and the humans openly feared the Anunnan. They said they were also like they would use these terms or when they were talking about their the Anunnaki they called them Ushmugal which equates to fiery flying serpent and they would also use the word mushush which is equated to fiery serpent being so time and time I mean how many times do these people have to in different tablets keep calling them the same thing and just also one to preface whenever I hear about the Sumerian tablets I've been listening to them for a long time I always think, like, how do they know? Like, these stories seem too ridiculous. But this stuff is all literally written down and translated. And people can argue translations. But the gist of the story is this wild story that we see copied over and over again to our religions. So just something to point out. Um, so the, the Sumerian Anunnaki, they viewed humans as a necessity. 
we were the workforce that was always replacing itself, doing tasks that the gods did not want to do. And the Anunnan, they used the term Lu for sheep, which was also interchangeable for the word of human. So just uh, to show that they viewed us as animals, livestock. So when the Anunnaki first arrived on Earth, it was not the same Earth that we know today, a theme that's ever-present. It was humid, muggy, and cloudy. The atmosphere was so thick with clouds that the sun never shone through. And this created a very humid climate that was like greenhouse gas effects times a thousand. There was more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than like literally like a thousand times more. And this made this like our earth plants grow super lush, it allowed vegetation vegetation to like explode in these huge trees, all these huge things. And that is what the so according to this, like that's the vegetarian reptilian races on the planet, like the dinosaurs, that's why they thrived so much because of this atmosphere was so conducive to them eating tons and tons. I mean, look how big the dinosaurs were eating huge, huge, huge trees, you know? So uh, this canopy of water vapor prevented change in temperature. There was no seasons. There, there wasn't even any rain. All the water was in the atmosphere and in the ground. So this cloud coverage of early Earth is attributed to Anu and him creating a suitable place for his people to live and mine gold. So the reptilians knew our Earth had had minerals on it. Anu came and used some technology to separate like the clouds from the ground to put them in the, the atmosphere even more. So it was like a covering outside. And th this is like a wild theory, but look at HARP in, uh, I believe, Alaska. That pushes barometric pressure up and can move rainfall into certain areas. And they're, they can, it's literally weather modification. So, you know, I know this is just their creation story and supposedly it's mythological, but that can be done today. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, so he, he, um, sorry. He create, you know, yeah. So he, the cloud coverage of early Earth was attributed to him, and uh, he split the the atmosphere and the took the clouds up, and this was better so his Anunnaki reptilian beings could mine the Earth for gold. And this is similar to Genesis two. So God had not sent rain upon the Earth. Instead a flow would well up from the ground and water the whole surface of the soil. So God in the Bible also separated the waters of heaven and earth, just like Anu did. And a lost book of the Bible, it's called the Book of Jubilee. It was chosen by Constantine and the King James Version of who just, what didn't want this book in the Bible, probably because what they're trying to hide from people. But the Book of Jubilee contained more stories about Genesis and the Exodus of the Israelites. And the Book of Jubilee says that God on the second day, he made the firmament in the midst of the water. The waters were divided on that day. One half of them went up above and one half went down beneath. So again, just reiterating, just like Anu did, the God that in the, of the Bible does the same task and he splits the waters. And then, of course, we're, I got another one. This is the same story of Zeus in Greek mythology. Zeus separated the heaven and earth from one another because at the time, the whole world consisted of moisture. So this theme of water vapor, clouds, and human environment translated across many cultures in their creation stories. So either um, 
this was the actual case and it successfully was passed on or this story, Sumerian story, was just copied over and over again. And it, I think it's a little bit of both. So the Popol Vuh, which of the ancient Kish Maya, talked of a similar story. And this, this is the ancient people in Guatemala. I had to look that up. So in their creation story, though, it was twilight constantly on the face of the earth in those days. There wasn't, you could not see a sun, you could not see a moon. And that was because of this thick atmosphere and clouds. And it wasn't until after their flood story, so again, another infamous flood of the biblical proportions, that they could see both. And again, this is how I was saying the conspiracies all go into each other. There's multiple cultures that talked about the golden age before sun, this, our sun that we have now was that sun. It's all my Saturn podcast. And again, this relates perfectly to the moon podcast of the moon was brought here by the reptilians. And, uh, you know, that's just like the Sumerian said. So the Anunna had their race mining for minerals of the earth. And these, the reptilians, very human environment. They would eat the lush vegetation around them. And I think in the tablets they quote, they drank like the animals from streams and, lick, and streams and rivers. And eventually, though, the environment started changing. The lushness of the vegetation decreased. The water in the mountains started drying up. And uh, it was got life became very hard on uh, this on Earth. And the reptilians were getting a little upset for working so hard and the things that were once, you know, food and necessities were not as easily to come by. And uh, the Sumerians claim, cause, say this change in the environment was caused by calamities that were occurring on Earth. And these calamities we think today are earthquakes or possibly changes in the Earth's tilt. So speaking of the tilt, Enoch in the Bible says the year, a year is 364 days. And uh, the Greek historian Herodotus said he was informed by Egyptian priests that the sun had switched its movement four times. Two separate times it rose in the west and two separate times in the east. And uh, this matches up with, you know, these other stories. Um, with the, you know, in Enoch, 364 days, like, again, these people were intelligent people. They could tell much more astrologically difficult things than counting a year. So clearly something had to have changed. So it was either tilt or, or something happened that, uh, you know, so this is shown though in different ancient groups that that time, the year might have been shorter or, or longer, shorter though in this case. So after the these four like tilt things that happened, the earth was changing. So the reptilians who were vegetarians, you know, they did not, they did not have enough food to sustain them and the workers revolted. So Anu had to do something you know, your people, your kingdom, they're not working for you. They're not mining. They're dying. They're angry with you. So he enlisted Enki, you know, the mad scientist one who was represented by a fish and was a decent guy, according to the text. He asked him to, to cook up some Frankenstein-like people. So the Anunna were so low on food that they stopped being vegetarians and started eating flesh and blood. And uh, this is, like, important because... If we go on to like reptilians today and David Icke, they feed off of this same thing. So you it gets you thinking like maybe this started, you know, they got a taste for meat and they kept going. Taste for blood and all this thing. So this theme transfers then to the apocalypse of Enoch because uh, Enoch says 
how the Nephilim, they began to eat the flesh of animals because of the scarcity of food. So in the Sumerian tablets, the Anunnaki start eating flesh and blood, and Enoch and the Nephilim, which is fallen angels, it's coming from the sky, also at the time of you know turmoil turned to flesh and blood. So just comparison, seeing two of the same story in two different ancient documents. So... So after many failed attempts, Enki tries using dirt, clay, everything, he creates what he calls Adapa. He combines the current man, which is on the planet, which was Neanderthals at this time, according to you know our history, with his uh, saurian or, or reptile DNA, and it is the perfect hybrid. The hybrid is you know intelligent. It's uh, similar in their huge, like these reptilians are very big beasts, very big people, 12 feet, 10 feet, some say the giants of our time. But um, so they were, Adam was very large and uh, similar huge stature, strength, and he had characteristics of both mammal and reptile. And this is why the Bible and other books harp on man being created in God's image. So, it does not say in the Bible, we, he, I created man in my image. Instead, it says, uh, it says, but rather in God's and our, in, in the image of the gods and in our likeness. And so this is a pantheon or plural. It is not referenced. And I know that, you know, well, you could say they just messed up the sentence or editing or something, but I don't think so. I mean, the word of God is, you know, sacred to the book, the people that wrote the, the Bible. So why did it say in God's image and in our likeness, two plural senses of the word? And the Bible is using the, I think that the Bible took the Sumerian creation story and tried to manipulate it to fit their paradigm that they were trying to push. And not all the edits that should have been, you know, this was made 4th century, BC, you know, 4th century AD, you know, they can't foresee the future. So some things slipped through that kind of led that maybe there wasn't just one, there was one total God on, but, um, you know, there was actually a pantheon of gods that they made, you know, that made in the image. So Adam or Adapa, he was part human and part Saurian. And according to ancient biblical texts, not in the King James Bible, Eve was actually not made of Adam's rib, but of his tail. His reptile tail was cut off and the DNA extracted and created the female of the human race. And again, this is actually in an ancient biblical text, not in, you know, Sumerian text. So Adam was cut off his tail. What man, what, who has a big tail, but a reptile. And we still have that nub on our tailbone that was for a tail in the womb. Why do we have that? We look like a tadpole. So Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and you know they they were naked. They're tall, huge, part mammal, part reptile beings, and they were told by uh, God or the gods in the Sumerian story to till the soil and collect the fruit for God. That was what all they had to do was just like prepare the soil. That was their their only task, and that. I think they say that in the Bible. It's because they copied it from the Sumerian, but that's exactly why the Anunnaki made man, because they needed those worker race to do that work. So in the Haggadah, which is an oral tradition of the Hebrew culture, it says that Adam and Eve were covered with a horny skin. 
The skin was bright as daylight and covered their body like a luminous garment. So does that sound like a human skin to you or a alligator, alligator skin? And the Haggadah even says that Adam was green-skinned. It said that they collected all colors from four corners, red for his bones, uh, white, red for his blood, white for his bones, black for his organs, and green for his skin, or brown for like his organs and green for his skin. And the book of Genesis also supports that Adam and Eve were something else. And this is a key, key thing here. Adam does not sweat in the garden while working until after he eats the forbidden fruit. And the Bible says, by the sweat of your face, you shall earn your bread after he ate the fruit. So what kind of organism doesn't sweat? You, I don't even need to say it. I don't even need to say it. Boom. But uh, Adam and Eve were also giants like their reptilian ancestors or giants compared to normal humans today. At, here's This is from the Bible. Adam who had been a giant, diminished in stature to the size of an ordinary man. So what What the hell, like, this? there's crazy stuff going on in this Adam and Eve story, and uh, R.A. Boulay really puts out some things that are awesome to point out that there's there's more, you have to read, you have to read what it says, and it doesn't say, you know, we have this image because we, we'd want to carry our normalcy to back then, but there was something else going on. So Adam and Eve, after eating the fruit of knowledge, they were now able to reproduce. They lost their reptilian cover after eating the fruit. And I will go into more of that next podcast. But their line, they they ate the fruit, now they're able to reproduce, and they reproduce quickly, and they quickly populated the earth. And they provided this great working force for the Sumerian gods. And R.A. Boulay even proposed this crazy theory that if the earth, at least in this area, it might have actually been overpopulated before the Great Flood. He proposes that people live on average 600 years, which is a low estimate based off our biblical characters, and they have at least 20 kids. Again, another low estimate that there would have been over a billion people in this area. So that really supports the Sumerian tablet story and other creation stories that the resources were drying up and people were dying like on a mass scale. So just something really interesting to, to think about. So eventually the great deluge of the Bible, Sumerian, and every other freaking culture uh, happens. And there's many different possibilities on why the flood happened. You know, melting of ice caps, earth tilt, excuse me again, earth tilt change, earth's tilt changing. Or if you're listening to my Saturn podcast, could have been the Saturn event. If you didn't listen to it, basically Saturn was our original sun, got too close with Jupiter, and its atmosphere got ripped apart off of it. It was hydrogen atoms ejected into outer space, and lots of the hydrogen combined with Earth's atmosphere created the first rain torrential downpour that flooded the Earth. So like I said, all these conspiracies, they almost fit in together. So to show that before the deluge, it did not rain, uh, in the Bible, God promised that to never flood the Earth again. And he promised that with a rainbow. And a rainbow is like a celestial event, very beautiful. And to these ancient people, that would be very important. But what's interesting is there is no reference of Bibles until after the deluge period. Just something, so maybe this story is true, that it really, the heavens were separated, like the atmosphere and the ground, and it did not rain until after this event. So uh, this is a good place to to stop. 
we will get next week we'll get more into the evidence of reptilian manipulation in our history and uh just how our biblical characters the reason why they live so long was because they were the closest from the modified genetic reptilian genetic reptilian genetics so that's why you know adam lived so long and all of his children because they were close to reptilian genes and as we go down to the deluge it gets less and less and less and uh and then the reptilians just realize they need to rule from far away so i really appreciate everyone listening we're actually up to about 45 listeners which blows my mind i hope all 45 of you people enjoy the podcast i try to do my very best so you know i hope it's it's all right so we're gonna just keep getting better though that's all we can do and like i said you know add me on uh facebook and uh instagram and twitter my fiance is ready to go adding people message me uh message a comment on the the apple podcast or spotify tell me what you think if you want a title of a topic i got one request of princess diana we'll do that one in you know uh, maybe two weeks and uh we'll just keep it going from here so guys just try to so i just want to say it's you know i always i know this shouldn't matter but on uh don't let people bring you down about your conspiracies. I know I kind of said something before. There's something huge that's going on in this world, and we so many people just follow the bread and circus routine and don't pay attention. So, you know, don't be discouraged if people laugh at you and uh, call you crazy, because I know I'm not crazy. So, all right, guys, that's all. Sorry about that. Getting downvoted on Reddit too much or something. I don't, I don't know. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, keep reading, keep learning, and keep fighting the fight. All right, everyone, that's it for now. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.